The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. Hey guys, welcome back to the Way BK podcast. Thanks for joining us. We've been looking at following in the way of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, and today we're going to start in Mark chapter 9. Um, we left off last time talking about uh, kind of a pivotal turning point in the book of Mark. Um, if you can go way back to the beginning of the book of Mark and remember that uh, this book began with um, Mark introducing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and there's this story at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark where um, Jesus is baptized and he gets anointed with the Holy Spirit and God says, uh, this is my beloved son. Um, and you have kind of this moment at which he's shown to be the Christ, the son of God. We pointed out in earlier podcasts that actually you'll see moments like that throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And last time we talked about one of these moments where Jesus asked his disciples, like, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Right after that, we get another story here in the Gospel of Mark that emphasizes Jesus as God's son. And really what we're starting to see here, is, and I say this is a turning point because from the time that, G, that Peter confesses Jesus as Christ, there's really a turning point here in the book where from this point on, Jesus is no longer, or, or the book of Mark is no longer focusing on uh, as much on all the miracles that Jesus is doing to show us who Jesus is but there's a lot more focus on what is Jesus up to mm -hmm. and why did Jesus come. And uh, we saw that last week already when, when we looked at um, chapter 8 and verse 34. After Jesus told the disciples, um, after Jesus blessed Peter, um, he then began to tell them, verse 31, that the Son of Man is going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and three days rise again. And Peter starts rebuking him. He says, hey, no, actually, if you want to join the kingdom of God, you got to do it too. You've got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross and follow me. And I think one of the things that's hard, I think, about this is Jesus is basically saying, hey, you know, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you got to lose your life. Like, right. you got to give up self. you got to deny yourself um, and, and, and let go of your desires and your wants. I don't know about you, but I'm hearing that for the first time. If I'm hearing that for the first time, it's not an easy, easy uh, message to swallow. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and to your point, at least in, in Mark's account of the gospel story, this is a pretty, there's a pretty big shift in terms of how uh, hard Jesus' teachings get. Mm -hmm. Some of his earlier teachings are a little bit more abstract, a little more general. Hey, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and it's like that. And, mm -hmm. hey, you guys should believe, or you should have faith, or don't you understand? Now he's going to get into some of the real heart-level attitudes and mentalities that are really uh, essential and important, and some of the practical uh, outcome. If you're really going to follow Jesus, here's what it's going to cost. Here's what take up the cross really means, which is probably good. I mean, I think we may have talked about this. I can't remember what we have or haven't talked about on, in our discussions, but... Um, for us, like the cross is this symbol of, oh, self-sacrifice and nobility and all that right. kind of thing. For people in Jesus' day, the cross was the most horrendous, torturous, shameful, uh, physically and socially 
destructive That's right. implement of death that had ever been invented. I mean, they, they was, it was you'd get stripped naked, beaten to a pulp, and hung up like a piece of meat where people would just walk by and spit on you, make fun of you, curse you. I mean, it was... It was such a bad form of death that right. actual Roman citizens, if I remember correctly, actual Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified, uh, at least in, in certain, in most cases and such. So it was this terrible, terrible thing. So for them to hear Jesus say, take up your cross, That's what why. are you talking about? That's why. For him to say that he's going to be crucified, what are you talking about? That doesn't right. make any sense at all. And Jesus saying, hey, yeah, if you're going to follow me, it's not going to make any sense at all. And it's going to require a total shift in your lifestyle and that's going to start with your mentality and your attitude about yourself and your life. Yeah, and that's the thing that gets me. Jesus made the statement in chapter 8 and verse 35, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Mm -hmm. And whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Really what we're going to see today is what I like to call the great reversal, where Jesus is actually showing his disciples that actually it's through losing their lives that they're actually going to find life. And this first story really is going to emphasize that because I don't know about you, but if I'm hearing Jesus talk about, you know, all this denial and uh, self-denial and crucifixion, you start to think, well, this is not going to end well. Right. It's interesting that uh, he says in verse 38, um, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus kind of gives a hint at something here that actually this losing your life isn't going to end in death. It actually is what's, the, it's, the, it's the path to glory. Yeah, it's, it's the, the gateway to something better. It's the road to glory. And so Jesus is actually saying, hey, if you guys will just join me on this path and you'll just follow me, you know, you can have it too. This first story, I think, in chapter 9, really going to emphasize that idea of the glory that awaits um, those who are willing to lose their life um, and, and join with Christ in suffering, suffer, suffering and death. Um, so let's look at chapter 9. Um, we're going to pick it up in, in verse 1 as Jesus is still speaking to them. Um, and he says in verse 1, Truly I say to you, there's some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Again, another hint that there's something glorious coming. Even though Jesus is saying, hey, hey I'm just trying to prepare you. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. and you got to follow me too. There's actually something great coming. And we get a glimpse of that here in this first story in chapter 9. Verse 2, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out to the, of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And all at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. I don't know, Ben, as you look at this story, what uh, stands out to you or just impresses you uh, about this scene up on the mountain? Um, I mean, I think the first place to start is why were Elijah and Moses significant characters for mm -hmm. a bunch of young Jewish men? 
And uh, of course, Moses is the one who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, not by his choosing either. God chose him. God right. selected him to do right. that. So that's a big deal. He performs signs and wonders. Uh, as far as I can remember, he's the first miracle worker in the Bible. I may be forgetting somebody, but as far as a human being uh, working miracles, um, other than maybe dream interpretation and stuff, but he was a big time character. Right. Um, he's the one who gave him the law. He spoke to God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. I think it says in Deuteronomy 34 before he passed away. Well, he died under sort of, well, I should say, his life ended under mysterious circumstances. He went off on a mountain and nobody found him. God buried him. So he's this pretty much mythological figure in Israel's history and really pivotal in the deliverance and redemption of Israel and also the, the covenant of Israel with God. So huge figure for that reason. Elijah, we got less pages about Elijah, but he pops up in this really pivotal moment where Israel has gone as far away as they could possibly go away from God. And Elijah's the one who's the great restorer. He comes and challenges the people. Why do you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, serve him. If Baal is God, go ahead and serve him. Quit playing around with both. Just serve the true God. Right. And the people, at least temporarily, do as a result. And, I mean, he brings fire down from heaven. And oh, I should say God sends fire in response to Elijah's prayer. So Elijah is a pivotal figure himself. But it also seems like he gets mentioned near the end of uh, the book of Malachi, or actually in the very last verses of Malachi, to talk about he's the one God's going to send who's going to, restore the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children of the fathers. In other words, he's gonna, there's going to be another Elijah that comes to fix up people right. again. And maybe even Elijah in that way is symbolic of what all of God's prophets did. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, the whole gang, this is what they're all about. So I say all that to say, if you're a young Jewish man and you go up with your rabbi Jesus, who you've just confessed is the Messiah, right. the one who's going to change the world and save the world, and then you wake up from drifting off into sleep and you look and there you see your, your, your rabbi, the Messiah, and he's talking to, I mean, I don't know, I don't even want to disrespect Moses and Elijah by making analogs in our history that we can think of, but mm. pick out your favorite, most revered, historical, social, you know, uh, revolutionary figures. Right. Elijah and Moses are that and so much more, and we're here with them. Right. That would be a, just an amazing moment for these right. guys. And a terrifying one for them. Sure. Like, hey, where do these dudes come How from? How did this happen? They've been dead for thousands yeah. of years or hundreds of years at least. And what am I supposed to do in this moment? What should I say? Right. Um, Peter, always quick to talk. Um, yeah. You know, a blessing and a curse sometimes. Uh, it, it was a blessing when he confessed. He was quick to confess Jesus as the Christ. Sure. In this case, maybe probably should have kept his mouth shut and just waited to see what happens. But confused, terrified, whatever... Is like, hey, let's build some tabernacles. We'll get one for Moses. We'll get one for Elijah. We'll get one for Jesus. You know, a safe place for you guys to be able to, you know, rest. And we can enjoy this moment, you know, yeah. um, and, and really honor, give you guys all the honor that you deserve. Um, but actually, the whole point of this, I think, was to show Peter that actually, no, the, the rabbi, the one you're following, the one you just confessed to Christ, he's not like just an another, another right. Moses or another Elijah. He, something far greater than yep. Moses and Elijah has come here. And so at this pivotal moment, we get this, this, this uh, second declaration in the Gospel of Mark. Mm -hmm. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Yep. He's the one you need to be hearing. He's the one who's going to increase more and more as the king and as the Christ. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I think it's helpful in this moment of real confusion for the disciples 
over like what on earth is Jesus talking about? He's gonna die, and what does that mean that we have to follow him and that we have to deny ourselves? And you know, I gotta lose my life to save my life and all that. It's interesting to me that in the middle of all that kind of conversation, you have this moment where Jesus steps aside with these three disciples and he shows them, hey, this is actually gonna end well. Like mm-hmm. this, this is not gonna end in death. Yeah. Um, actually, no. By by losing my life, I'm actually going to glorify it. And in the same way. Um, if you'll lose your life with me, you can save your life as well. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's I think they, they definitely saw it with all the, the Jesus being dazzling white and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I think there's also another level. You pointed out this is the second time that Jesus gets declared to be the Son of God by uh, by the Father. The difference is in this case, there's a little additional phrase there. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Amen. And then verse eight says, when they looked around at these two men who I guess embodied the law and the prophets. We could say all right. the scriptures, all the things right. that it, all the communication God had ever had up until that point with mankind. Verse eight. Suddenly, look around. Looking around, they saw uh, they no longer saw anyone with them, only Jesus. And I think that's noteworthy. Okay, who are you listening to? So, I think on one hand, this sort of just demonstrates: Hey, losing your life, you give up your life. It's going to be glorified. God's going to glorify it if you give yourself up. But then there's also the practical thing of, okay, but where do I start? What does it mean to deny myself? How do I, what is that, where do I go? What, is it, what do I do? What does that mean? Yeah. Well, number one, it means you listen to Jesus alone. That's right. And I think that's, it's so hard. It would have been hard for them. We're going to, you see, after the book of uh, Mark, going into the book of Acts, it was very hard for the early disciples to do that. They right. kind of listened to Jesus and they listened to Moses. And some of those things were in, they, God didn't design them to be in competition, right. but they were in competition with the way they were listening to it because they weren't really listening to Jesus alone um, as far as to really have the answers. The same thing can happen for us today. I listen to Jesus when I read about the stories of Jesus or his apostles, but then I'm also listening to whatever religious group I've ever been affiliated with. Yeah. And there's conflict. Well, we've always believed this. I know the Bible says this, but I've always believed that. And I'm, well, listen to Jesus alone. We listen to cultural influences. Everybody at my work or in my school says I should think this way, but then the Bible says this, and I'm kind of torn between the two. Well, you got to deny yourself, which may say I want to hold on to that religious tradition. I want to hold on to the people around me in the world. Or there's things within myself that I just prefer. I read something in Jesus, I'm like, yeah, but I think, or my experience tells me, and I've got this competition. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Listen to Jesus alone. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Listen to Jesus alone. If he's the one we're following, then he's the one we got to hear. We got to listen to his words, put them into practice, and he'll teach us how to lose our life so that we can save it. So this is amazing. You can imagine coming down the mountain like, wow, like that's pretty, pretty incredible moment for, for James and John and Peter um, to be there. Maybe embarrassing also for Peter, but, uh, but, but really, I think just mostly awe-inspiring. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you just be in awe. As they're coming down the mountain, though, Jesus says, hey, don't talk about it. You know, like, don't tell anybody what you see here um, until, until the Son of Man uh, is risen from the dead. And, of course, that, again, gets them confused. What is he talking about, mm-hmm. rising from the dead? They still are totally clueless about what is actually going to happen to Jesus. But that leads them into this discussion about Elijah. You know, hey, um, what about Elijah? Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And and Jesus points out to them that actually Elijah does come first and restores all things. And yet, 
How is it written to the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. And again here, I think what we, we've got the disciples who are kind of distracted, they're puzzled, they're confused, they're kind of on their own wavelength here, having this discussion about, you know, what does this mean about Elijah and Malachi and what the, what the Old Testament prophets have said? And Jesus is like, hey, you guys are missing the point here. Actually, what you need to understand is I'm going to suffer. Yeah. And actually, Elijah has already come. He suffered too. Mm -hmm. If you're going to choose to follow my footsteps, then you got to follow me through the path of suffering. If that was true for Elijah or John the Baptist, as Jesus calls him in another place, um, if that was true for John the Baptist, that his ministry would end in death, and it's going to be true for Jesus that his ministry is going to end in death, then shouldn't it also be understandable to the disciples that they're going to have to die and actually die daily to themselves in order to be follow, able yeah. to follow in his footsteps? When you listen to Jesus alone, you're going to go through some hard stuff. That's right. That's right. So they get back to the disciples. The disciples are in the middle of an argument themselves. Um, no time to actually talk about what happened on the mountain because the disciples are caught up in trouble. Um, and uh, when they see Jesus, uh, they're amazed and they run up to greet him. And he asks them, hey, what are you guys discussing? And um, the crowd answers, the disciples may be a little too embarrassed to answer, um, and say, hey, we got this, uh, this person who's a mute and uh, possessed with a spirit that's seizing him and slamming to the ground. He's foaming at the mouth, he's grinding his teeth. And the guy says, hey, I told your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. Um, to which Jesus then responds, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then he tells them to bring the boy to him. And he asks them, asks the father, how long has this been happening? Um, and the father says, hey, it's happening often throwing him into the fire and the water and destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. So the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When the Jesus saw a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit. He said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. The boy was like a corpse, so much like a corpse that uh, most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. All right, another kind of puzzling story here, Ben, um, as they come back down from the mountain to this uh, dispute that's arisen over this demon that they can't cast out. Um, what are we supposed to take from this story, and how does this uh, relate to our theme that we've been talking about? To me, the thing that stands out, uh, one, they had cast out demons before. Jesus True. had sent them out to cast out demons, and they had done it. There was something True. about this. And I'm not sure if it was the demon itself. May have been. I don't really know how demon demonology works. The Bible didn't really spell it out very much. But I know it was a little. But uh, but I do know what their problem was. Jesus highlights it in a couple of ways. Verse 19. He replied to them, "You unbelieving generation." Right. Verse 23. Whenever the man says, "If you can," Jesus says, "Everything is possible for the one who believes." That's right. 
the father responds, I do believe, but I know not enough. Help my unbelief. Right. And then, well, yeah, so, I mean, so there's like what, like four, refer three or four references to belief, faith. faith. Like, do you actually believe in this? All right, so if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to go in his way, if you're going to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, you've got to believe. Right. You've got to believe that he is the Son of God. You got to believe that he is powerful. You got to believe that he is merciful. You got to believe that he's all the things that the scriptures say that he is, right. uh, and that he said about himself. And that these miracles are meant to prove. They're meant to bring about belief in in uh, in those who see Jesus. You're never going to be able to sustain following after Jesus if you don't believe. You may be able to start. You may listen to Jesus. Say, I'm just going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to do what he says, and I know it's going to require some suffering, but I'm willing to do it, and I'm going to go, and it's going to be all right. But then you start down the path, and then if you don't really believe in who Jesus is, if you don't believe in his goodness and his power and his wisdom and all that stuff, eventually you're going to give up. You're going right. to be like, I can't do this anymore. I can't because you believe in other things or you believe in nothing, which is really believing in, I guess, something else anyways. This is not going to work. Uh, so to me, that's kind of the overarching message of this is the necessity and the importance of belief. And I like at first glance, it seems like, oh, yeah, it's the dad. He didn't believe. But then when the disciples get in the house, I respect that they were humble enough to be like, hey, what's going on? We, we were messed up. Right. <laughs> why couldn't we do it? Right. And I, you know why they would ask that? Because they'd done it before. Right. I don't get it. We've done it before. What's going on here? And I like what I would expect in the stories for Jesus to say, this kind comes out by nothing but belief. But Jesus gives a practical marker for believing That's in right. verse 29. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer, which I don't think is a new thing. I think right. Jesus is saying in, in Luke 18, Jesus would tell a story, and he's, the, the text says that he told this story to see, uh, that, to make sure they would continue to pray and not lose heart. And then the, the question he asks is, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And so here I think how much, how vigorously, how consistently, how persistently I pray is a pretty good uh, measuring stick to how much I really believe, and that is the key. If I want to deny myself and follow Jesus, I've got to have a heart of believing and prayerful believing. And I, that really sticks, right? Because, I mean, now I have to, I, I, it's one thing to say, you know, I believe in Jesus. I, right. I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Well, do you, do you turn to God when you're in trouble? Do you turn to Him when you're in need? Do you talk to Him? when you're seeking to accomplish something or to do something, do you depend, who do you turn to and who do you depend on? Do you mm -hmm. depend on yourself or do you depend on the Lord? Jesus is reminding disciples here, and maybe that's what happened. Maybe that ha what happened is, you know, we've been with Jesus a while. We've been doing this a while. Cast out demons? Yeah. Come on, man, it's fine. I mean, I'm good. Like, I can do this. I, I don't need Jesus for this. You know, he can be gone with his, his buddies and we'll, we'll handle this one. And it's a humbling moment to say, hey, no, um, if you want to do the work of God, if you want to honor God, if you want to glorify God, if you want to save your life, then you've got to be willing to submit to God, trust God, um, and devote yourself to Him. It's only by lowering ourselves and depending on Him that we can actually do great things in His kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Which I think fits into the next little interaction or a couple of interactions He has with His disciples right here. That's right. So they leave from here. Jesus goes out. Um, and he's telling them again, second time here, hey, I want you to know, um, son of man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. They're going to kill him, and when he's been killed, he will rise three days later. Jesus is trying to make this explicit. Like, hey, you know, you guys need to understand what's about to happen. Unfortunately, verse 32, 
they did not understand the statement and were afraid to ask him. <laughs> you know, so they they remain in ignorance, and this is a problem because it leads them into a, a dispute uh, over how to be great because they don't understand where Jesus is headed fully, and they haven't really put it together and pieced together where Jesus is taking them. They don't really understand how to be great in the kingdom of God. And so there's this discussion that comes up on the way. Um, and, and Jesus then again asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? Jesus is good at uh, bringing out whatever's going on in their hearts and whatever. And don't you know every time he would ask questions like that, they're like, oh, come on. Yeah. Do we really have to? Again. Again with this. I mean, clearly, they didn't want to talk to him about these things. It says they were afraid to ask him. So, right. like, hey, Jesus, we left you out of this for a reason. Yeah. But the, but the discussion is, uh, is over which of them is the greatest. And because yeah. of that, they don't want to say anything about it. But he sits them down, um, calls the 12, and he says, hey, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he takes a child, sits the child before him, and takes him in his arms, and he said to him, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. What do we learn from this about how to enter the kingdom, how to follow Jesus? Well, I mean, what kind of person listens to only one person? You know, like listen to Jesus only. You don't collect, because we like to collect a lot of opinions. And ultimately what we're doing is I'm getting to this. I'm the arbiter of what's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to collect 10 different opinions and then I'll decide for myself. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of person just listens to literally one, maybe two people in their life? They're like, that's the only person I listen to. What kind of person is just completely dependent such that they believe, hey, so-and-so, they will fix it. I believe in them, and if I ask them to help me, they'll always help me. They'll always do something for me. The only kind of person that does that is a little kid. Yeah. Little kid. How many times would somebody say, oh, blah, blah, blah. The little kid's like, well, my dad said or my mom said. Mm. Or, oh, I mean, you got whatever. Fill in the blank with a problem. A little kid's like, my mom will fix it. Right. I will go, and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but I'll go pray to this person who I believe in. I will ask them yeah. to help me. I believe in them. Right. Jesus says, y'all got to learn to be like little kids. Stop trying to think you're all grown up. Stop trying to think you can take care of yourself. Humble yourself like a little child. Yeah. Childlike humility. If you're going to follow Jesus, and it's kind of like the believing thing, you'll flame out eventually right. um, with denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. If you don't really believe in him and that belief being fueled in prayer, it's the same thing. You're not going to keep following Jesus if you don't learn to think of yourself like a little child because eventually you're going to start butting heads with Jesus. And if I'm... If Jesus is my primary consultant, then eventually I'm not going to want the consultation. Like, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to do this other thing, though. I've got to learn to have a childlike spirit that says, I don't know anything. I can't do anything. I got to just go with whatever you say. I got to listen to you. I got to trust in you. I got to pray to you and not try to run my own show and think that I'm somebody. Yeah. Which I think part of this is, again, so much of the reason why we do why we do those things, we're trying to figure it out on our own. We're trying to you know piece all this wisdom together. Is because really at the at, at the at the root of it all, we're trying to save our life. Yeah, we're trying to fix our life. We're trying to we're trying to live life the way we know that we can hold on. We're trying to hold on to what we think is really life. And what this story reminds us of is, hey, actually, kingdom of God's not like other kingdoms. Mm -hmm. Like you don't you don't win 
by pushing other people down and pulling yourself up. Yep. You know, you win in the kingdom of God by laying down your life for other people. If you want to be first, you shall be last of all and servant of all. Uh, so for Jesus, to be great it, it, it is not defined um, the way other kingdoms would define greatness. Mm-hmm. I love what uh, Martin Luther King said about this. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said uh, that, that, by, that Jesus has given us a new definition of greatness. And by that definition, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Instead of looking at life as, hey, how can, I, how can I hold on to my life? How can I get what I want? How can I save my life? How can I have everything that I need? Jesus is saying, no, let go of your life. Listen to me. Trust me. Humble yourself and let me lead you. Let me show you the way to go. Follow me in this life of, of self-sacrificial service. And in the end, that's what's going to exalt you. That's what's going to make you great in the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, all these kind of tie to uh, letting go of a sense of I get to control my own life. I can gain power for myself. I can have it all figured out. I think, you know, the, the next paragraph, it seems to me, is in the very next, it's in the same conversation. Hmm. Jesus gets done saying, or he's literally got a child in his lap. I mean, it says there, taking it in his arms. Right. He said, hey, be like this. And he's holding the kid in his arms, and John, for whatever reason, pipes up and is like, Teacher, um, we saw some people casting out demons in your name, but he doesn't follow with us, so we told him to stop. And you can just imagine Jesus like looking at the kid, looking at John, I don't know, be like, dude, seriously? Like, right. You're not listening to what is going on here? Right. But what you see with John is John had a tribal mentality and a power-oriented mentality about That's his right. life. How am I important? This group that I'm, I'm with, this, this crew that I'm with. Um, and Jesus says, if he's casting out demons in my name, why are you trying to stop him? Right. Just because he's not right. in this group of 12 people, that doesn't mean that he's not a disciple of Jesus. That doesn't mean that he's not devoted to Jesus. But John wasn't thinking in those terms. G- John, in other words, wasn't orienting his life by Jesus. Jesus was not his North Star. He had all these other things. He had this group and the power dynamics within that group, obviously. I mean, John was right in that mix of who's the best in this group. John was right there in the argument. And so he's thinking about my life is oriented by what makes me important among other people. And Jesus is saying, man, the only thing that makes anybody important is if you're with me or not. This is my son. Listen to him. You know, oh, unbelieving generation, you got to believe in Jesus. You got to stop thinking you can take care of yourself and have that childlike dependency on Jesus and not think in worldly terms about these things. Because if we do keep thinking in worldly terms, we're going to mess each other up and ourselves up. And that's what Jesus goes on to say. He says, if you guys keep this up, you're going to be a stumbling block to each other. And of course, that's going to bring condemnation on you because you're not really following after me. You're not denying yourself. You're not taking up your cross and you're not following after me. You're just continuing on your own path. Yeah, and that just makes me think a little bit uh, about, you know, what is it that I'm trying to do in my life? What am I trying to accomplish? Is it really to honor and follow Jesus and to actually live the way that Jesus wants me to live? Or do I have my own goals, my own things that I'm chasing after, my own, my own uh, desires? You know, um, Jesus goes on to say in verse 41, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. For Jesus, it's not, it's not about, being great in the kingdom is not about having 
power and ability to do miracles and cast out demons. Mm. That's what makes you great in the kingdom. Right. No, it's really about the simple acts of service, the simple acts of humility, the simple acts of faith and trust in him that are demonstrated through a life of self-sacrificial love and service towards mankind. That's how they'll know that you're mine. Yeah. Are you willing to listen to me enough to actually be willing to do things that cost you? He'll go on to talk about, um, you know, that if, if, if your uh, hand is causing you to stumble, cut it off. If your eyes causing you to stumble, gouge it out. If your foot's causing you to stumble, cut it out. Because it's better to be in the kingdom of God with one eye, one hand, or one foot than to have two eyes, two feet, and two hands and be cast into hell. Mm-hmm. Um, to, be in the, to be part of this kingdom that Jesus is creating and that Jesus is establishing, this kingdom that's coming with the power of God and the glory uh, that's going to come when Jesus returns. To be a part of that, you've really got to do a lot of things that just seem from any fleshly or worldly perspective completely turned around or upside down. Yeah. You've got to be willing to say, hey, you know what? I don't know the way. I've tried it my way. I've followed my way, and I've failed time and time again. I need to let Jesus lead me. I need to listen to him. you got to be willing to say, I've trusted in myself, and it hasn't worked. You know what? I'm going to trust in him. And you got to be willing to say, hey, you know what? Even though I don't know where he's taking me, and I don't know how much this is going to cost, I'm going to choose to do it his way. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop trying to exalt myself, lift myself up, and become great by my own power or my own wisdom or my own actions. Rather, let Jesus allow me, let let Jesus lower me, humble me, and let me become a servant. Trust that things will work the way God wants it to be. Yep. So I'm thinking before we wrap this up, I got to do a little self audit with this with this passage, right? Um, and I'm thinking in particular that piece about if you're if anything causes you to stumble, cut it off, right? Mm-hmm. And he and he uses the hand, the foot, the eye, things that were absolutely necessary, especially with a lot of people who maybe a lot of us are like, ah, I wouldn't want to, but I could probably get by without a hand, right? Listen, if you're a fisherman or a farmer or you know whatever, or you're walking everywhere, right? Losing your foot, losing your hand, big deal. That's yeah. uh, that's your livelihood. You're dead basically. I mean, this is just another way of saying take up your cross is what mm-hmm. Jesus is talking about, right? Okay. So I got to think, what are the, so there's things that seem integral to your life that Jesus says you got to let go of them, mm-hmm. including your very self. What are the things that pull my attention away from listening to Jesus? Who are the other voices that call to me that I listen to? I got to cut them out. Cut them out. Not, not, not turn the volume down. Cut them out. Right. What are the other things I believe in? And one of the best ways to evaluate that is, what are the other things I pray to? Right. And I know you're like, well, I don't get on my knees and pray to anything except God. Okay, but I mean, whenever you're in trouble, what's the first thing you turn to? Yeah, where do you turn to for your resolution, for your help? If it's anything other than prayer first, it needs to be on that list of, uh uh-oh, maybe that's actually the thing I really believe in that will save me. What influences are there or what habits do I have that um, are all about me asserting my own greatness, my own power. Um, what are they? What are those things that I'm using to elevate myself? I got to cut them out. If we're gonna, if we really believe in Jesus, if we really believe that He's the Son of God and that He's come to change the world and change our lives and save us forever, we got to do whatever it takes to listen to Him and Him alone, to believe in Him and be earnest in prayer, and to humble ourselves with a childlike dependency or else we're never going to be able to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. So ultimately this is the choice. 
I can keep trying to save my life. I can keep trying to hold on to my life. I can keep trying to, um, you know, grab on to life and end up losing it in the end. But what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Yep. Or I can say, you know what? Jesus is right. His way is best. Look at how the story ends. This is the greatest story ever told. Every movie, every book that's ever been written that's beautiful or great is rooted in this story. I mean, just go and look at the, your favorite movies, your favorite books. You'll see at the heart of it this life of self-sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It actually does end in glory. But I got to trust Jesus enough to say, you know what? I'm going to let go of my life now. I'm going to lose my life now. And in the end, I'll find life, life eternal. And what a glorious life that will be. Great reversal. It is a great reversal. If we can help you in any way on this journey, we ask you to reach out to us. Follow us on the way, BK. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to encourage you more um, as you seek, through, seek the Lord. We're all on this path to lose our lives so that we can find it and, and be there in glory. And what a day that'll be when we get there. Amen. Thanks, guys. Catch you next time. The aim of the way, BK, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.